Sam. Yedon? What's the word? Ick. Ick. That's what's left when you just take the alcohol from alcohol. Ick. <laughs> Where'd you hear that? I, I heard, heard it through, through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Hiya, Sam. How you doing, Don? What's going on? My life has gone completely off the rails in the last month. My wife got breakthrough COVID, even though vaccinated, she got it. It was very scary as she got sicker and sicker. At the beginning of that was quite scary. Mm. She was fine. It was like a really bad flu. But then problems complicated with my dog. We put our dog now. And then my son was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And we were able to go to um, Brooklyn, where he lives, and be with him for surgery. And that has turned out okay. They got the cancer and he's got a really good prognosis. I got home yesterday from this two-week trip of being there through that. And I can tell you that there were a couple of times where I would have given anything to trade places with him. The despair and pain and watching him, you know, struggle after surgery and not being able to do anything, it was intolerable to me. I, I couldn't go to meetings the way that I'd have been doing on Zoom, but I was sitting in a room full of people all the time. And so I, I could listen, but I couldn't participate. Mm. And so all that turned out okay, and I've gotten through it and back home, but, I, but I've just felt completely disconnected yesterday. When I got back, we returned to the house, the dog's gone. I felt like I was not part of my own life. I was mowing the grass going, you know, I'm just like looking at my life and I feel so disconnected. I got a text message from Sponsy. He sent me his gratitude list because we exchange gratitude lists every day. Mm -hmm. And his first one was, I feel connected, <laughs> it, which was great because it was like, right after having the thought I'm completely disconnected, I get this, this text message. I feel connected. And it's like, there's hope. Yeah. Yeah. Instantly you're making me think about um, that bit about, you know, there comes a time when we may even get to a point where we refuse to pray. We can't pray, but then we look for the willingness to pick it back up when we can. Yes. Have you been to there? Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, last year when my mother died unexpectedly in February of 2020, it was, it was going through the motions. It was going through the motions. Yep. I'm, I'm just, I'm doing what, what's in front of me and I'm, I'm being as mindful as I can about how I do this. And I guess that's the biggest thing, Don, is that with the experience I have in recovery, the way I would have handled that situation before recovery would have been <laughs> such a mess 
Um, I guarantee you I would have been drunk, but even if I didn't drink, I would have been so making it all about me and making just so much trouble and just discontent for everyone involved. Obviously, it's not a happy situation, but I was able to move through it gracefully. Mm -hmm. And at what point did you feel that like you got connected again? You know, it, uh, gosh, did it take a while? I would have to say it did take a while, but that's also because I was completely thrown off because COVID hit. Uh So, you know, she died in the middle of February and COVID shutdown was in the middle of March. Uh And so, you know, I didn't have access to my routine. Whereas, you know, in the situation you're in, you're back home, you've got a routine that you've already established that is available to you to jump back into the zoom meetings and the regularity of those and things like that. So, you know, that, that may help you. It's already uh, helped. Find your connection uh, faster. Yes. Yeah. It's already helped. What's interesting about it is that I've had enough experience. I've been sober long enough that I knew that this would pass. Mm -hmm. And I certainly knew that drinking wasn't going to do anything to make anything better. Yeah. So this simply is not an option for me. But I felt like a kind of despair because all of the tools of AA were not touching it. And ever since about three years ago, I had stroke and came up against my own mortality. And so for the past two, three years, it's been incredibly easy for me to draw a a white line along what is something that I can have an effect on and something that I can't. And Mm. I have not sweated the small stuff one time in the past three years. And it had become very easy for me to identify what I need to let go of. And I had gotten really good at it. Dare I say cocky about it? Because when I hit this, even though intellectually I knew that I could not control the situation, when it was my son, it was intolerable for me to let go. And I, so emotionally, I could not let go, even though intellectually I knew there's nothing I can do. And the best thing for me to do is to let go and be here for everyone. Yet I couldn't do it. And that was scary and disappointing. And I felt like a recovery failure. And here's where I'm going to reach through the Zoom screen and kind of smack you upside the head and say, you did fine. You did just fine. First of all, you didn't drink. Second of all, you didn't pull your world down around you. You moved through it as the best you could. And because of the experience that you have in recovery, you actually moved through it a lot better than you would have without that. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. You know, it, it, we're not guaranteed puppies and unicorns in recovery. We still get life, right? No. What happens is we get better at living it. So. Well, today, Sam, we have a guest who is perfect. Who's perfect in every <laughs> way. I'm thinking like the male Mary Poppins here, like perfect in practically every way. Actually, we don't know that at all, but let's find out. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Say hello. Hi, guys. 
It's great to meet you all virtually. Uh, my name is Elliot B. and I am an alcoholic. I'm grateful to be a member of AA. Elliot, thank you so much for joining us today. Elliot, I'm so glad you're here. When did you get sober? I got sober November 21st, 1995. And I always joke that I had drank legally about a month and a half. So I was 21 years old when I got sober. Oh, wow. Drank legally for a month and a half, but I have a feeling <laughs> there was a lot of drinking before then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, good. We have a good and proper alcoholic here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Elliot, well, since you've been sober, have you ever run up on a wall where you felt completely disconnected from life? Yeah, I think that I've always thought of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and being a member. It's kind of like a, a love affair. Sometimes I feel euphoric and I'm just full of energy and energized. And then there are other times when, like you all were talking about earlier, where I really am going through the motions. And, you know, I, I watched uh, my father actually um, pass away from cancer a number of years ago. And I think that what recovery gave me was the ability to be present and to support him as he went through that process, right? And without recovery, without being involved in AA, without having the kind of support of a good sponsor and people in my recovery network, I wouldn't have been able to be there because my, my father and I, you know, we had some ups and downs in our relationship, but in the end, I was able to be present and support him through that process. But, you know, a lot of uh, what you were talking about earlier, that sense of powerlessness over someone else's health, regardless of how much I care about that person. You know, I, I think recovery has taught me that, that I do, I have, I have many limitations. And so one of the most powerful, I think, things that recovery has given me is the serenity prayer, where I'm able to ask a higher power to grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference between the things I cannot change and the things I can't change. And so much in life fits into that area, right? Where I'm just not sure, or I need that wisdom that comes from, from some sort of higher power to help me to determine what I can change and what I can't. That's a really powerful observation based on your own experience, obviously. That wisdom component, that's, that's the, the big part of it is that ability to discern what's mine. What do I actually have control over? And for the most part, it's what I think and say. And quite frankly, I don't even have a lot of control over what I think, at least not the first thought. You know, for me, I can remember was my second sponsor that said, you know, Elliot, you may be powerless over alcohol, but you're not powerless over your attitudes and your actions. And so I try and focus on the actions that I'm taking on a daily basis, right? Have I called my sponsor? Have I gone to a meeting? Have I read the literature? Have I prayed? And most important action is the one of not taking that first drink, right? Regardless of what's happening. And that really helps me. You know, I've always told people, yeah, there's no chapter in the big book titled into thinking, right? <laughs> but there is a chapter in the big book titled into action. Right. And it's the actions that I take, even when they particularly when those actions feel really uncomfortable, those are usually the actions that result in personal growth for me. Right. It's the ones that are really kind of make me feel uncomfortable. 
they certainly are a first. Uh, the first approach to the steps, a lot of them seem like too much to ask. Yes. First came to them. Me but too. <laughs> I like what you say about the actions taking comfort in the actions. It's like take it, it's like taking refuge in the actions, as I've read it in Buddhist terms, taking like refuge in the Buddha. I can take rep, which I did in the past weeks was I could take refuge in that going through the motions, even though I wasn't feeling it. I knew that I needed to pray. I needed to ask my higher power to help me through this. And, you know, in fact, I was helped through it. I got through it and I knew I needed to get to a meeting. You know, I've heard it said, you know, I don't care if your ass falls off, pick it up, put it in a wheelbarrow and take it to a meeting. And I've got to go to meetings because it redirects me every time. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, you know, alcoholism, you know, has been described as a disease or a malady of loneliness. Right. And so, you know, where my alcoholism wants me is alone with my thoughts, which is disconnected. Exactly. And so recovery for me is about connection. Right. Like what you were talking about earlier, earlier, the importance of feeling connected and how uncomfortable now that I've been in, re- in recovery for a number of years, the discomfort that comes with feeling disconnected, right? And so, you know, for me, uh, you know, I've, I've recently moved, I've recently relocated and, you know, I've found it's very important for me to go to, I've done like a 90 meetings in 90 days to kind of get through that, that feeling of, of re- basically working to, to find that connection here and, um, I now live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So for me, that connection comes with a regular attendance of meetings, that meeting before the meeting, that meeting after the meeting that we were talking about earlier, that kind of fellowship, because what that does is it, it works to help me get that lie out of my head that I'm alone. Alcoholism always wants to tell me I'm alone, I'm special, I'm unique. And what the fellowship does is helps me to realize and really kind of internalize the fact that I am among many friends and that have had many similar, had had to face many similar kinds of problems in life, but also real triumphs in life. We get to experience both of those things together and stay sober. We absolutely do. And I feel like as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've got a leg up on the rest of society because I've got this instant connection virtually anywhere I go, I can find my people and we already know each other. We may not have met yet, but we know each other. Community. Yeah. And, you know, we have these, you know, I learned early on about the importance of our three legacies, right? We have these three legacies of recovery, unity, and service. And I can remember learning that, you know, it was important to get involved in service and Alcoholics Anonymous because without service, there would be no unity. And without unity, we don't have recovery. Service brings us together, right? Serves a, service helps me to develop some discipline. And, you know, when I got here, I really wasn't disciplined. I wasn't reliable. I, I would tell you when I was drinking, oh, I'll meet you at a certain place at a certain time, and I wouldn't be there. But getting involved, even if something is simple and quite frankly, as rewarding as being coffee maker in a meeting, right? It helped me to learn the importance of showing up, showing up early, 
introducing myself to people. And that goes back to the importance of that connection. Because if I'm willing to show up early and participate, then before I sat down to enjoy the meeting, I already begin to, that sense of connection kind of comes over me, right? That's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved how a, uh, a former DCM that I uh, used to work with, district committee member, told me that um, the service of putting away the chairs or making the coffee or those things, that's where the opportunity to talk with another alcoholic starts. Because it's really hard to do that in silence if you're working with other people, you know? You wind yes. up chatting. <laughs> God is in the bottom of the coffee pot. You need to clean the coffee pot. <laughs> yeah, and you know, if we we think about sponsors, you know, I wasn't really sure what what that meant. You know, what is it? What is a sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous? And I learned, you know, from my first sponsor that you know the best analogy he gave me was, you know, Elliot, just picture us both looking down a long dark alley with a lot of potholes. I've walked down that alley. And I know how to get around all those potholes, right? And so I have that experience through working the steps, through living sober. And my job is to share that experience with you, right? To share where the potholes are. But then your recovery is your responsibility, you know? And you may, through your own free will or decisions you make, you know, you may end up stepping in some of those potholes. But my job as a sponsor is to kind of show you where they are. But what a wonderful gift, you know, because my sponsor doesn't make me uh, feel judged or, you know, he's just another equal. Isn't it so cool in AA that we are a society of equals, whether I've been sober 25 days or 25 years, neither of those time periods make me any better or worse than anyone. It just takes one drink to get me back into the mess I was in, same same with the guy that's 25 days, right? Both alcoholics, just plain old alcoholics. (laughs) Yes. Elliot, so one place that we're all alike is that we all depended on alcohol to be the solution to everything at some point. (laughs) It certainly was for me, I thought, for a long time. And in fact, it really did work for me wonderfully Mm -hmm. for for a long time. But what shifted? Can you describe what happened inside of you that shifted to where you went? It's a good idea to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and get sober someone else's way. Boy, that is a great question, right? Um, that is the the eight hundred dollar question. And for me, I knew that my drinking was out of control. I had gotten to that place in my drinking. Uh, I knew that once I started, I couldn't stop, and I had really lost the ability to control even when I started. It was a period early on in my drinking where it was like Wednesday, okay, I have school because I was still in, in uh, I was in college when I quit drinking. So, you know, I knew I had a big test the next day and I wouldn't drink. But then it got to the point where I would have that big test the next day and I would drink anyway and wake up thinking, goodness, how did this happen? And so for me, I got to this place where I was just so tired. I went, I came to the realization. I had an epiphany as an active alcoholic that booze was running my life, that all the decisions I was making I was always making, planning around my drinking, and I was miserable. I was miserable. I couldn't, I had, I felt like I had lost complete control of my life. I would make a promise to myself to stop drinking. I would be able to abstain for a week, maybe, or two, 
And then I would get spun so tight, kind of that insanity that we talk about in our literature that precedes the first drink. I would go get a bunch of liquor and I would go out for three or four days and end up on a beach in North Carolina. And I was in Virginia at the time, right? (laughs) Surprise. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not fun. Or I would wake up, you know, I would come to in an automobile accident being, you know, greeted by a police officer that, that, uh, that I was on a first name basis with. That's never good when you're on a, at least for me, it wasn't good to be, and he was a very kind man, but he was tired of picking me up Mm. from my weekend altercations. And so what happened to me was there was a man that I knew that had gotten sober in AA that lived in the neighborhood. And he went from being a really mean kind of nasty guy to really kind, gracious person. And I asked him what he did. He told me, you know, he went to AA, but I can remember telling him now he lived, you know, right up the street. I said, you know, I think I might have a problem with my drinking. And his response was, well, the whole neighborhood thinks you have a problem. (laughs) So clearly I was the last to know, you know, and I I came to that place where I, and I came to that place where I, I, I just, I knew I was in a lot of trouble. And because this man had had said, he was really what we would call an AA kind of my big book, right? He showed me through the way he was living sober it really attracted me and wanted me to learn more about what AA was about. And from there, I ended up going to my first AA meeting. Wow. Great. Thank you. That's, I, I, I got chills. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so since you've been sober, can you share with us at one point where AA asked you to do something that seemed impossible or ridiculous, and then you did it and got on the other side and found out, oh, this does make sense. Because somebody new in AA, this seems kind of daunting, these steps, some of them. Yeah, well, they're they're kind of two examples, and it just depends on how you would approach it. The first one was in early recovery, working a fourth and fifth step seemed like just a tremendous ask. It, It was daunting. It scared me. That's to make a, an inventory and then share it with someone else. Exactly. So the fourth step was, you know, doing that inventory, writing a lot of my resentments down, a lot of my fears down. And then, you know, the fifth step was actually sharing it with my recovery sponsor at the time. And it was really the first time that I shared so openly about my fears, my resentments, you know, and other, other things that were really going on inside of me. I can remember one of the things that was horrifying for me is, you know, I was a a young gay man in the 1990s in rural Virginia. And that was a really scary thing for me. And I can remember sharing this during my fifth step with my sponsor who was straight. And what I love about his response, I told him, you know, I just have to share this with you. I haven't shared this with anyone else that I'm, I'm gay. And what I love about this man's response was he said, so what? You can get sober just like anyone else. Yeah. And for me, it was such a big deal for me. But what I found was this just unconditional love and acceptance that comes from AA members. He was able to accept me for exactly who I was and where I was at at that time in my life. That's something I wasn't able to do. And so that was kind of an early sobriety, an example of something that really seemed daunting, of going through doing that inventory and sharing it that changed the trajectory of my recovery in my life in a very positive way. And I think if, if you can 
bear with me. I want to share one more example. We'd love it. I did get involved in, in general service early on because my sponsor told me it was a really important thing to do. And I got involved in general service in the Virginia area. I became a GSR in 1998. And I had no idea where that would take me. I had really didn't have any intention of doing any of these jobs that require more time and responsibility in AA. Wait a minute. Can you describe what a GSR is? Thank you. I, I should. A, a GSR is simply a, a general service representative. So the, a general service representative is someone that represents the group and communicates with different levels of Alcoholics Anonymous. At its core, as, as we know, AA is run by our AA groups. We don't have the typical hierarchical sort of organization where we have a, a CEO barking down orders and whatnot. Uh, so I really learned a lot getting involved as a, a general service representative, but that set me on a course for t- being involved in general service work for 20 years. And so I've pretty much done just about every job there is to do. And the last job I did, which I think was quite a daunting job, but I served as an area delegate for Virginia. And an area delegate is kind of like being a GSR for the entire state of Virginia. And of course, I had the opportunity to, (laughs) you just get a lot more email and do a lot more travel. (laughs) You know, but at its core, the delegate job, which was really a 25 to 30 hour a week volunteer job, delegates are not paid, was by far the most challenging job I've ever had in AA, but the most rewarding, right? Because I really got to see Alcoholics Anonymous from a unique vantage point. I had an opportunity to go to the General Service Conference, which is where all of our delegates and trustees get together and make policy decisions for Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, looking out into the future and thinking about how can we make Alcoholics Anonymous a more effective organization at at our primary purpose, right? Which is really getting our message out to the still suffering alcoholic. And one of the things that was really important to me as I was in this job as delegate is I, I realized that we really needed to do a better job in the fellowship at embracing the kind of technology we're using right now, which is one reason I'm just so excited to be a part of this podcast. Giving Alcoholics Anonymous uh, exposure and helping folks that may not be aware of what AA is and is not, giving folks an, an idea of you know what we do very well, and that is help people if they have a drinking problem and, and want to stop. So that was a tremendously rewarding experience in my life. Thank you so much for relating that. And, and I just want to share, I got chill bumps again. I'm a service nerd, and I love it. And also as a gay man who got sober in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, when I came into the rooms, I was terrified of straight men because I didn't know what the reaction was going to be. Every single bit of the fear that I had about being in mainstream meetings, I went to gay meetings first, which got me comfortable to go to mainstream meetings. I found in mainstream meetings, I was completely welcome. And the men's meeting that Don and I used to go to together on Saturday mornings was one of my absolute favorite meetings. Thank you for relating your experience with that. Yeah, and I think it's it's an important story to tell that regardless of one's sexual orientation, one's ethnicity, one's social or economic background, that individual can have the same opportunity to get sober and maintain sobriety 
as the three of us have had. And that is one of the many things that I love about AA. You know, what I want more than anything for the person that's coming in the door is to have the same positive experience with recovery and sponsorship that I had. And I want that person to know regardless of where they come from or what they look like, that they belong, that they have a seat in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think that's really awesome. An awesome part of our organization. Here, here. That's it. The way that I felt different from everyone was that I'm an artist and even an artist can get sober. I would venture to say you were even a hippie at that time, Don. <laughs> Elliot, we're all wrecked in the same boat and I'm glad to be in this wreck with you and you too, Sam. It's been a great conversation. It has indeed. Elliot, thank you so much. It's been a, a real joy to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you both for giving me an opportunity to share some bits of my story. And I just wish you both the very best. A drunk walks into a bar and swallows a boomerang. The bartender throws him out 47 times. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc., We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.